Alrighty, so we're gonna spend a good chunk of time and this is where I would absolutely love examples. We can totally process through examples, clarify, share experiences to say, okay, how would I have handled this? One of the things that had come up before is, and it's always a different answer, but do you run after children? Who are your clients who are escalated and they take off in the street? You know, so situations like that, we can totally process and, and figure out what's best so that we at least have a few things in our uh, toolbox if the situations arise. Okay, so some specific nonverbal de-escalation tools and techniques have everything to do with these four concepts. Proximity. Are you too close to an individual? Sometimes we may have the urge to reach out and pat someone on the shoulder or rub their back and say, hey, is everything okay? I strongly discourage that. I strongly discourage reaching out and putting your hands on anyone, let alone when they are in crisis. Um, be a mirror, you know, be a mirror. And to be a mirror, you have to be a safe distance away. So be mindful of your proximity your voice tone. I have seen some situations go from, okay, we're on our way out of this to blew up because somebody raised their voice or the client perceived, or even the coworker perceived that the voice tone was inappropriate. Facial expressions are huge. Uh, if you can be neutral, be neutral. If you can smile softly without it being like, too nerve-wracking you know you know you know people really are kind of nervous and sometimes that shows through but almost like an empathic facial expression where it's like i understand you know um, and then body language that's huge body language can signal to someone that you're for or against them right so think about the last time you got into um, a heated discussion with someone and they folded their arms, you know, or uh, I had a client last night and I was really kind of nervous for their safety because it was a really tense situation and their partner was across the room and he was speaking and the partner continued to like mock him. And then he would talk and the partner would like, she would mock him, like he would say things and she would mock them and she'd be like, mm. you know, and really I got concerned because you could see him start to become agitated. And so for me, it was, okay, let's take a break. This is a lot for me. Is it a lot for you guys? Let's take a break, right? Because his body language was responding to her body language, even though his voice tone did not, but her voice tone would raise. And so it, it was a mismatch. They weren't necessarily mirroring each other identically, but it just, it made me uncomfortable. So I took that as a sign of, okay, let's take a break. This is tense, this is a lot, you know, and really empathize with the situation. Body language can say a lot to you and to your clients. Um, I have observed once we had a client, he's a big guy. He's about six, six, 
maybe 325. Um, and I remember that because we were working on some nutrition issues. And this was significant because he was uh, larger than all of us. And he had a tendency to act out, break things, hit people, hit walls. And we were able to calm him enough to transport him to a particular hospital in the San Gabriel Valley. Unfortunately, we had gotten all the way through the assessment process, but a particular staff member came out and he slid on his gloves and he slapped his hands on the desk like that. And he was like, let's go. And the client just lost it. And he went from walking with the discharge nurse into or not discharge nurse, I apologize, the charge nurse, he went from walking in with her calmly to his room to be uh, processed to now he ended up being restrained because the body language and the voice tone and the facial expression that the individual approached him with was very, very threatening. So these four concepts are huge in managing and responding to potential crises, uh, especially when, when we are smaller than the threat or are outnumbered. Questions or feedback about that? Yeah, Lasana, we have a really, uh, a really great comment here and something I certainly would never think about, but uh, someone had a coworker who had a personalized license plate and she had to change it after her client commented about how easy it would be to find her. <laughs> oh, scary. This is very scary. I worked in the jail once um, and uh, you know, when we get used to it in environment, we can unknowingly place ourselves in a position to become victimized. Um, and I in no way mean to victim blame, but it, it's just we get comfortable and we start to um, ignore those subtle conversations that are taking place in us, also known as intuition. And one day I walked in and one of the inmates made a comment like, oh, you must be in a good mood today. And I was like, I'm, I'm okay, why? He said, because your eyebrows are colored in. And that was so jarring for me because I just was out of, out of time that day and didn't do a whole face, but I was like, I do feel good. Let me put on my eyebrows at least. Um, I don't have a lot of eyebrows. So, you know, um, the fact that someone noticed them was very jarring for me. And it, it made me very much aware that even though I was comfortable and I trusted them, I was still putting myself in a position to be victimized because they were watching me. Now, that does not mean that um, I would have been harmed or attacked simply because the individual was incarcerated, but it does mean that we have to be aware of where we work, who we work with, and whether or not we are listening to those subtle conversations and taking in information that's being shared with us um, about whether or not an individual is very, very interested in our person and our being. Um, personal license plates are great. If you can take an agency vehicle, take an agency vehicle. Um, but when people 
I think anyone make comments like that to you, you should receive them and um, really think about them. We have, a, we have another comment and question. Um, we had somebody who says that they had a situation when two clients were arguing and screaming at each other back and forth. Uh, he was there to try and uh, mitigate the situation, but they were out of control. What would you do in this situation? Um, I would call a supervisor immediately and let them know that I think that we need um, some support on the floor. If there's two clients that are agitated and becoming escalated, one person should not try and break them up by themselves. What I would encourage is always have a teammate and be ready to call 911. Um, if they're actually swinging or in each other's face, I still encourage you to briefly consult with the supervisor about calling 911. If these are individuals who you have really great relationships with, you may um, intervene, make sure you keep your proximity, have the voice tone that's really calming and neutral, have a very neutral expression, and have a, a inquisitive body language such as, hey, what do you guys need? Is, is there anything I can help you guys figure out? This seems like it's getting kind of heated, right? We definitely want to call out the observation because that may not be the intent. You know, that's like when you're talking to Lakers and Clippers fans. It, they may not be intentionally, you know, um, going to engage in a fight, but those conversations get heated. So definitely call out the observation. You know, you guys look like it's getting kind of heated. Is there anything we can help you with, right? Wait until your support arrives to say, what can we help you with? Um, but I definitely do not encourage, especially if you're the only staff member on the floor, I do not encourage... Um, physically involving yourself with anyone who's escalated and arguing. And we have a, a couple more questions. Mm -hmm. um, what would you suggest to do internally and externally when the client seems threatening to you specifically and the context of this is out when you're out in the field? Oh, absolutely. When we, when we say threatening, that is my cue to remove myself. So internally, I take a deep breath. I become aware of my exits. I think about what do I have on me that could protect me or what do I have on me that could cause me harm and I need to get away. In experiences I've had like that, I will literally start to put stuff in my pockets slowly and say, you know, I, I understand that you're really upset with me. Um, so why don't we take a break? How about... I give you your space and I'll give you a call later and we'll schedule another time, you know, and definitely follow up with that. Hey, what did I do to upset you that day? I really want to make sure I support you and I don't do that again. Was it my voice tone? Was it something that I said? Was it that, you know, I just came off offensively, like help me understand how to better support you. So internally, again, take stock. What are you feeling? What is your vehicle? How close is it? How far is it? What is your nearest exit? Um, and externally, definitely, again, label it, call attention to it. It seems like I, I am frustrating you. Why don't we take a break? I'll give you a call to reschedule, you know, and definitely follow up afterwards so that you can learn what was going on in that client 
So if it happens again, you can manage it before it becomes a crisis. Great, and then one more question. How do you adjust when you sense that a calm tone is actually activating the client or just, it's just not helping to deescalate? And um, she's thinking of a client who's experiencing intense persecutory delusions without any insight. Mm. Adjusting when a calm tone isn't working. First, again, I would encourage you to become very, very aware of where you are and what your exit plan is. If your calm tone is not working, ask them if they want to talk to someone else. You know, ask them, is there anything that you can get them? Ask them, do they need a break? You know, um, some specific things be a mirror and reflect calm as well as um, give calm. So what that means is your body is calm, but you're also having a calm voice tone. Um, some people have calm voice tones and yet they're fidgety, right? So first reflect calm, reflect that you're willing to cooperate to get the need met. What can I help you with? Um, have a neutral facial expression. Try to have a non-defensive posture. I like to keep hands in front, you know, um, and relaxed. I definitely encourage minimizing gesturing or fidgeting or any signs of nervousness. Um, I would remain at eye level, but maybe not necessarily make eye contact if the client is not comfortable with that. Don't force it. And you could also modulate your tone of voice to reflect empathy, right? So you could do all of those things, or you could ask if, if there's something you can go get them or what do they need or would they like to speak to someone else? Now that doesn't mean like, you know, this client's gonna flip out and you suggest they talk to your supervisor because you hope your supervisor gets hit. Like, no, <laughs> it's really, um, who can I get to support you since it seems like I'm not doing a good job. Um, and then always remember to treat the clients with dignity and respect. Um, sometimes what we're up against is their own sense of shame. And when your calm tone is not working because of persecutory um, delusions, then that individual is really stuck in a shame and guilt cycle. And so your calm tone may not be working because they're not receiving you. So I would definitely encourage you to um, give them some space as well, if that's possible. Uh, one more comment, a, a suggestion. Um, he likes to shift the focus by offering a new object or, or something to change the process. Right. I definitely agree with that, shifting the focus. I don't know if I would hand someone an object um, if I'm not sure how they're feeling, unless it was something like putty. Um, I like to keep these little containers around and they're just clay. Um, they feel very squishy, um, but they are clay and it keeps adults and children busy. Stress balls are good. Um, things that are, are malleable, but not hard. Um, if we want to shift the focus and hand them an object, I, I would say that that's helpful. Um, if we're going to give them 
them, meaning it could be a client, it could be anyone who is escalating, give them something to like drink. I definitely encourage it in a lightweight cup, uh, such as styrofoam or paper cup, but I definitely discourage against it being hot. Um, and, and also seeking to understand, treat with dignity and respect, ask questions, provide choices. Sometimes people are escalating because they're not getting choices. It's like, oh, you can't help me and you won't help me. Oh, you can't help me with this. Can you help me with that? You know, it really providing choices can be helpful. Um, showing respect, gather information about what the need is clarify what the need is without too many questions, honor the needs and the choices of the individual, um, but don't make promises that you can't keep. Um, yes, questions about that or other suggestions or examples, because I, I love this dialogue that we have going, examples or experiences that you want to process out. Yeah, so we got a couple more comments. So one comment, and it ties really nicely with what you were just saying, is uh, periodically remind your client that you are there to help them and find solutions. And then um, a clarification on um, about using an object. It looks like he was referring to like objects in the environment, not that you would necessarily hand to somebody, but um, like a painting in the room, an airplane uh, passing in the sky, um, just anything to shift the focus within the environment. I definitely agree with that. If that's appropriate, absolutely do it, especially in the field. The field is a great place to shift the focus. Um, even if it's a simple redirection to do something like, you know, let's take a walk. Let's just take a walk. You know, People who are sitting in one space boiling over uh, tend to reach escalation a lot more easily than someone who is um, having their focus shifted and they're starting to move, you know. So I always encourage walks in the field if it's safe. But if you're by yourself and a client is escalating, I do not encourage you to be anywhere with them other than where you're expected to be. I know that that kind of was a, a little contradictory, but um, you know, as we learn people, we know there's a window of, you know, let's take a break, let's just go on a walk versus saying, let's go on a walk and they're throwing things, they're agitated, they're screaming in your face, they're threatening you. Um, those are opportunities that we have to look for and definitely reminding them that I'm here to help. So I can't give you a housing voucher, but what I can do is sit with you and call some different places. Do you feel comfortable doing that? You know, give choices. Thoughts? Yeah, we have another comment. Um, rephrasing clients' confrontational or challenging questions can help to diffuse an escalating situation as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I am curious about if anyone's had any experiences where they weren't sure whether or not to chase after a client or if they thought they were being supportive and got hit by a client. Um, how do you recover in those moments or what do you learn in those moments if anyone wants to share? 
we had a recent example. We had a staff member who was providing emotional support to a client during a, um, a TCM meeting. Um, and she was sitting fairly close. Her and the client had worked together for a year. And so she felt very comfortable with this client. Um, and the client started escalating. Voice tone was raised, fists were bald. She's uh, cursing, blaming. Um, she's pacing back and forth. She's avoiding eye contact. Well, our staff member did not move. They did not get up. And the client just turned to kind of unleash some frustration and she ended up punching the staff member. Like she was not, we found out afterwards, she was not aware that she was punching the staff member. She just was like, you know, like how you hit a pillow and you're just, you know. Unfortunately, that staff member got injured. And one of the things that we had to debrief about was how come, how could we have better mirrored the client um, without posturing or positioning ourselves to present as adversarial? And so what I encourage is, you know, if you can stand with when the client stands, definitely do so, but still give them their space, remain at eye level, make sure you don't have, because this particular staff also like to carry a purse with her. Um, and one of the reasons she had a slower time responding was the purse actually got stuck between the uh, couch cushions. Um, and so she couldn't even stand to protect herself um, because she was stuck. And so it was a really unusual situation. Um, but what we decided afterward was it would be best if you mirror clients, if you stand up, you keep eye level. If they're seated, you're seated. Um, if they're standing, you stand. Even if you're leaning against a wall away from them and um, you know, you're listening and you're a part of the decision-making meeting, that's great. But if a client is escalating and they're up, then you be up and away. Does that make sense? Does anyone have thoughts about that feedback that we gave her or maybe some suggestions that you would have offered alternatively? Again, just be mindful of your proximity, some nonverbal de-escalation tools and techniques. Be mindful of your proximity. Give the client space at least an arm's length. And now in this time of um, COVID, at least six feet. Um, have a comfortable resting body language that's also going to allow you to exit quickly if you need to. Be mindful of your facial expressions, you know. Um, be empathic with the vo voice tone and the content that you're using. I love these suggestions. Remind the client that you are also there to support them. Um, rephrase what they're saying so that you can demonstrate that you are listening. Empathize. Summarize what they're saying. Um, also demonstrate awareness of the sense of urgency. Right? Sometimes um, individuals can escalate because they feel like you're not hearing them and you're not aware of how significant this is to them, whatever that this is. So definitely just being aware of all of these things. 
keeping yourself well and healthy so that all these things are, are going on as quickly as possible. And yeah, we got some more um, comments while you were talking. And one of them was about like when your client stands and you stand with them, could that possibly be triggering for them? Um, so that's one of the questions, um, like they might interpret that as, as, as the threat. And, um, and I'll share these other two comments before you answer that. Um, maybe, uh, maybe talk to the staff member that you had shared an example about. Um, talk to them about wearing a purse. Like if it, if it served a purpose, see if there's another option instead of bringing a purse along with you. And then uh, a comment of just always have somebody who can help by you know, tapping in and tapping out. Yes. Thank you guys so much for those comments. Yes, um, always have someone available. And, I'm, and I feel very validated in the comment about wearing the purse, is it functional? Can you exchange it for something else? Um, because that was actually something that we were concerned about early on. And unfortunately that, that staff member continues to wear that purse. Um, and it's not necessarily functional. There's just a trust issue between the individual and, and the people that that staff member works with. Um, and so I think that that's also significant. If we don't trust our clients, they're gonna see it and they're gonna feel it. Um, and you can have trust and awareness. So you don't swap out trust for awareness or swap out awareness for trust. You can absolutely say, I think that this client respects me and I respect them and I think we're gonna do good work together. But you can also be aware of the changes in their behavior. You can be um, aware of what your intuition is sharing with you about the environment and the moment. You can also be aware that this client is not behaving like themselves and that we may end up in a crisis today. So um, yes, definitely validated my experience as a supervisor with the comment about the purse. Thank you. Um, and then standing as a client stands. So I think it depends on the situation. If the client is beginning to escalate and they stand up, you can put it on the forefront of your mind to eventually stand up. Yesterday, someone asked about what if the client's quick on their feet? In that event, I don't think I would even encourage you to sit down. Um, if you're both seated at a table and the client starts to, to get up, then I encourage you to get up. And something that I tell my team they could say is, um, oh, okay, you want to stand? Let's go ahead. Are we going to take a walk? Or, or you're standing. Do you want to leave the room? Do you need something? I can go get it with you. You know, again, you can call attention to the fact that they're standing and you want to be helpful and you stand as well. Um, if the client is standing and coming at you, please stand up quickly. Um, the, the worst thing that you can do is be caught off guard in a situation where you are overpowered very quickly and no one knows where you are. Um, so I, I think it really depends on the situation um, and I totally welcome feedback and perspectives on that. But if you can stand when the client stands or wait a couple of seconds, if it's safe enough to, then that's great. Or if you can stand and call attention to them standing up in a helpful way as you stand up, I think that that's helpful as well. Um, other tools. So some verbal de-escalation tools 
Um, the, the ones prior, I just want to differentiate. These were nonverbal um, tools and techniques. So proximity, you don't have to say anything to uh, make sure that you're giving a client space. Your voice tone, it's not necessarily what you're saying in this manner, and that's why voice tone is listed. It's how you're saying it. Uh, facial expressions are communicative. And so it's about what are you communicating non-verbally with your facial expression and then your body language, making sure that you are not posturing and you don't present as adversarial. Um, and with regard to standing, that is a, a, something that you really have to consider in the moment. Um, also things to do that are not necessarily verbal is demonstrate respect, um, you know, be a mirror, relax your body, reflect calm, um, have a non-defensive posture, keep your hands in front of your body open and relax. Um, minimize the gesturing, don't pace, try not to fidget. Um, and then eye level, but don't force eye contact. And you can also modulate your voice tone to demonstrate empathy. Um, we, we actually have some more comments saying, so standing when they stand, can I just walk out if they totally get out of control or should I try to talk them down? I think what is um, important is you saying when they're totally out of control. When a person's out of control, they are out of your hands. And I know that that sounds very flippant, but the reality of the situation is how can you calm someone who is in that state by yourself and you're in a room that's what i'm gaining from your question because you said stand and walk out um i encourage you to stand and leave and, and let them know why you're leaving and you know always seek supervisory guidance but stand and let them know why you're leaving you know you seem like you need a little bit more space um, and you can call out what you're observing. Your voice tone is loud. You're using profanity. Maybe you need me to not be present. I'm just going to give you some space and you can leave the room, you know, have a safe exit. And then um, he says, if I see that they stand, but I am at a table, I usually back up in the chair and look up at them, but always with a straight face. I don't want them to think I'm afraid. Hmm. I think that's a, a tendency, a natural tendency, as you slowly back up and you're looking up. I think I would encourage you to transition eventually to standing if possible. Because how long will it take you to get out of your chair and stand up if someone's coming at you? So definitely a part of managing crises is being able to put all the information together that you are gathering in terms of behaviors and um, needs and what you're observing and mental status and saying, okay, chances are this person is not going to harm me. I am okay sitting like this. Um, but I would encourage you to eventually transition into a standing position if possible. And the last comment is, oh, no, we have more. S slow movements can be non-threatening. Um, so he's recommending that. And then the last question for right now is from Hugh, who says, how about culturally sensitive tools, tools that are appropriate for the population you're working with, 
like juvenile justice. Oh, wonderful. So thank you so much for that. Culturally appropriate for the culture that you're, the population that you're working with. Um, juvenile justice, I think what's very interesting is young people, and I, when I say young people, I mean um, our Tay population and children in general, they will know when you're not genuine. They will read it. And so in terms of de-escalation tools, if it doesn't feel comfortable for you, um, don't, don't do it in the sense of trying to connect. Um, for juvenile justice, my experience has been that if you have an officer that connects with that youth with you through the de-escalation process, you're probably gonna be a lot more successful. Um, the other thing is we have to be aware of our implicit biases when we are working with juvenile justice populations. The reason that that is significant is because we, what we may be observing is a trauma response to someone that we represent to them. And so when we're talking about de-escalating, we have to understand what their need is and what they're reacting to. So what I have done and what I've encouraged is have an officer that they connect with, with you, um, such a probation officer, if you are in the camps, if you are doing um, home visits or you are doing like an MDT meeting, I would a multidisciplinary team meeting, then I would encourage you to hear what people are talking about in, in, in regards to that client's needs and hear what incentives have been tossed around, know who that individual connects really well with. And then when you're trying to de-escalate them, um, call on those things such as well, you're going home soon. You know, we, we definitely want to make sure that that happens. What do you need in this moment that's going to help you uh, regain control over your emotions, right? And I like to use specific language with that population, such as regain control over your emotions. The reason is because that par particular population deals with what presents as conduct disordered behaviors and conditions when looking at the cultural context um, in terms of black indigenous people of color who make up a very large amount of our juvenile justice um, consumers, those are trauma responses. And so all of that said to say, when we're looking at de-escalation, you have to have a team approach, um, namely someone that they have a really great relationship with call on things that they're looking forward to, right? Because with young people, gratification is huge. So going home, uh, maybe an extra sweet snack, maybe access to the gaming room, uh, maybe a break to the Hope Center, um, you know, things that they're able to consider as gratifying something is very helpful. And then also labeling the opportunity to regain control over their emotions um, is very helpful. 
Again, making sure that you're aware of what some of their needs are or asking them what their needs are and letting them know how you can help them get it met once they've regained control over their emotions. Those have been like successful for me. Um, does anyone have any other suggestions or maybe some um, more clearly defined ones? We just have some general tips that someone put in the chat um, for when you're in these situations. Um, they said wear a money belt to keep your driver's license, nominal cash, business cards, a breakaway ID holder, which I've heard you mention before um, as well. Uh, nothing available for grab assault by client always back to the exit, walking hallways with side stance so you can see ahead and behind. And this is someone that's worked for a long time in IMDs and state hospitals and just wanted to share those tidbits. Thank you so much. That's wonderful, especially being able to see ahead and behind you. It's very huge. In the community, that's also a really great tip. If you're in the field, I would encourage you to, to position yourself to see everything going on around you and um, be aware of how close you are to an exit, how close you are to your vehicle, um, but definitely being aware of what's going on in front of you or behind you or on the side of you. Um, I'm wondering if ever anyone's ever experienced being with a client in the community in an encampment and a fight breaks out in the encampment. I think what I what I like to encourage is transition the client away safely. So it's like, oh my goodness, you know what? Let's go over here so that you know they can finish that. You know, definitely try to transition the client away. Again, because encampments are small communities. And so you don't want that client to become fixated on whether someone they know is involved in that particular altercation and now they wanna be a part of it, right? And then you're trying to deescalate them. But I definitely do not encourage standing and watching for any amount of time. I definitely encourage, oh, hey, Joe, you know what? They're, let them handle that. Let's go. Let's go fish, finish this. Because um, remember, we got to get your paperwork done today. You know, try to redirect them and refocus, shift the focus. A great uh, suggestion earlier. Shift the focus back to what the needs are and move them away. Um, because you definitely do not want to get caught up in an altercation in a place where you are by yourself. So some verbal de-escalation tools and techniques. First, calm yourself. I cannot stress this enough. Knowing what's going on in you is huge. I have had staff members leave crisis situations. Um, for example, um, a young person put their fist through a window and was using the glass to cut themselves. And the staff member left. And she came and she got us. And, you know, on the one hand, it was like, great job for knowing that that was not something you could deal with. Really, really wonderful job. However, please use your walkie-talkie next time. Because now we have a client alone in a room with a sharp, and you didn't tell anyone. 
Um, so I strongly encourage calm yourself and check in with you so that you have um, clarity, okay? Always ensure the safety of others in the environment. If you need to move a group of people and it's easier than moving the client, I strongly encourage that. Refrain from blaming. Definitely refrain from blaming. I stay away from what's wrong with you or well, it's your fault because or um, well, you should have, right? We try to stay away from using should because sometimes there's shame in should. And we, we definitely don't want to trigger someone who's already in a shame and guilt cycle. We don't wanna to add to that. So if we can refrain from blaming and using should or you need to, um, then that is very, very helpful. Definitely minimize open-ended questions, be concise and listen. So here's something that's super important to take away from that statement. If you are in crisis, minimize open-ended questions. If you are in assessment, ask open-ended questions. Open-ended questions, well, what's going on? What do you need? What can I help you with? Closed-ended questions, do you have a weapon on you? Um, Open-ended questions when you're assessing gives you more information and gives you more of a complete picture and you have an idea about resources that you need to um, bring into the problem solving process. Direct closed-ended questions are gonna let you know if this is a safety issue immediately or if we have time to wait for people to get here. Definitely encourage setting limits. Well, you know I can't give you $100. What I can do is sit with you and call someone. You know, offer choices. Do you want to call the Motel 8 or Motel 6? You know, do not make promises that you cannot keep that will escalate someone quickly. Uh, and be open to tag teamings. Do not blame. I know I just said that, but blaming is a surefire way to offend people. Seek to understand. Can you help me understand what I did to frustrate you just now? Or can you help me understand what you need? Or can you help me understand um, what's going on with you right now? You know, can you help me understand what we forgot that frustrated you? Right, you're gathering information, you're in assessment phase. If the person is in full-blown crisis, then now we're managing it. Um, you manage crises, but you de-escalate or prevent potential crises, if that makes sense. Um, seeking to understand open-ended questions, those things are very helpful when you're trying to bring someone down. If they're in crises, remember that means hospitalization or loss of freedom is imminent or loss of the a pertinent resource such as housing is um, imminent, you know, or they're about to harm someone or themselves. Those are full-blown crisis situations. Um, outside of that, we're, we're de-escalating until there is aggression um, or violence 
then again, we're managing a crisis. So uh, continuing with verbal de-escalation tools, um, seeking to understand, gather more information, clarify without too many questions, honor choices, you know, honor needs, um, demonstrate active listening, you know, nodding your head. Um, oh, okay, I understand. Oh, okay, I get what you're saying. Oh, I apologize. That's not my intention. You know, definitely um, being apologetic, whether you mean it or not, is, is not important. It's about demonstrating that you're present to help. Um, that really speaks to also knowing how you're feeling. Sometimes people don't feel like apologizing when it could really bring a situation down and offer the opportunity for debriefing on a later note and reestablishing rapport. Um, so know how you're feeling, especially when you are engaging um, in conversation with clients attempting to deescalate them. But active listening, apologies, asking, um, if they need anything, offering silence, summarizing their needs, offering empathy, those are also de-escalation tools. I strongly, strongly discourage blocking exits. I strongly discourage blocking people from leaving. Um, that's really not helpful. If a person is escalating and they're saying they're going to leave, please let them leave. And more self-gratitude examples would be, so for me specifically, what I do is I have started writing down. I know people have to-do lists and I am a notorious to-do lister, <laughs> uh, color-coordinated to-do lists. And, you know, what I have done is I have a gigantic poster that says what I want to get done, what I need to get done, what it would be nice to get done. Um, and they are one week, 30 days, 60 days time frame, and they're color coordinated post-its. And so when I've completed one, I take it down um, because it, it helps me to say, okay, you are, you are knocking things out. So in terms of self-gratitude, what I do is I say, I am proud of you for getting this done today. You did great. And however many I got done that day, I compliment me and I tell me, great job for getting that done. I am grateful that you took the time to get that done. And that may sound odd in terms of um, conversing with yourself in that way that you thank you and you tell you that you're grateful for you, um, but that can be very helpful in a time when, again, we are pioneering a lot of protocol right now. We're pioneering a lot of um, interventions and tools, you know, and it's stressful. And, and we're doing this in the midst of um, washing our hands, sanitizing our area, wearing a mask, uh, you know, we're getting truly creative right now, and it can be exhausting. It can be overwhelming, um, and we can start to feel compassion fatigue. You know, we can start to, to experience 
conditions that are synonymous with vicarious traumatization because there is a lot weighing on everyone right now. Gratitude can really help and self-gratitude can really encourage you by letting you know you're still going and you're still doing good. So yes. Um, so just a quick revisit, verbal de-escalation tools and techniques, calm yourself, check in with you, take care of you, okay? Ensure safety of others and the environment, refrain from blaming, minimize open-ended questions, be concise and listen. Sometimes the absence of things are just as significant as the presence of things. What do I mean by that? Sometimes the absence of someone saying, I'm not gonna kill myself, is just as important as if they said, I am gonna kill myself, right? So listen, set limits in terms of, well, I can't do this, but I can do this. Offer choices, okay? What would you like? Do you like this or this? And be open to transitioning yourself out. Again, do not block exits. You can ask if the individual needs water, a moment alone. Do they want to sit down? You know, be aware of the clinic or office resources that are present. Always do active listening so that you can um, reflect and summarize and clarify. That would sound like, tell me if I have this right. What you're saying is, or seeking to understand. I'm confused, help me understand. You know, one-to-one -one verbal communication, you know, like person, this person is having a human experience right now, whether we understand it or not, that will come later. But right now, communicate one-to-one -one with humanness, with empathy, ask questions, seek to understand, offer silence, summarize, um, and try not to overwhelm the client with multiple providers. So just wanting to give some more reminders about when you're having a mental health emergency in the field, who can you call? Um, the 800 number, I strongly encourage all of you to save it in your phone. And remember that option one is um, going to link you to crisis um, support and you're going to get access to the smart team um, which is a mobile um, psychiatric emergency response team that has support um, that comes in the form of officers as well but the pet team is actually now the pmrt team the psychiatric mobile response team where um, clinicians will come and they usually come in pairs or they come um, with one individual. Um, but please remember that uh, PMRT must see the individual while they're in crises. Um, so you may have um, someone come out and they not take that individual, um, but it, it's not that they don't want to, it's just that they have specific policies. So I definitely encourage you guys to familiarize yourself with um, the PMRT team as well as the SMART team. Those resources are available at the DMH website uh, link that was placed in the chat box. Always know who your supervisor or manager on duty is. It is super significant to get guidance from 
um, a supervisor or a manager because they can um, ensure your safety, provide the level of support you need and the level of emotional support you need, and then also get you access to other team members. If possible, safety proof your environment, be aware of your surroundings and please know your exits, okay? Um, these are some really great references. Key components of de-escalation techniques. The International Journal of Mental Health Nursing has some really great articles on this um, because of the nature of um, individuals who are hospitalized and how nurses are sometimes um, assaulted during the course of their workday. Also verbal de-escalation skills. There's a really great presentation um, that was developed by Risk Management Services. Um, there are some de-escalation uh, techniques through Vivid Learning Systems. And then um, Invisible Work in Nonprofit Social Service Organizations. This has a lot to do with taking care of yourself during crises and then understanding how burnout can impact your um, ability to remain safe on the job is um, a really great thing to start looking into, especially during this time. And this journal is really great. It's the professional um, safety. Questions or concerns? Would we contact 911 for a smart team? So my understanding is no. You can, um, and if you get a dispatcher who is familiar with the program, absolutely. But I would encourage you to just familiarize yourself through the DMH website. The reason is because if you call 911, it is an emergency, right? And they are coming out. Remember that police officers handle neck down issues. That means um, emergencies that are involving individuals who are in crisis, there's an emergency situation, they are going to stop the threat. So please familiarize yourself with those resources that um, are specific to getting access to the SMART team versus going through 911 if you can help it. But if you cannot help it, call 911. Um, but again, I am encouraging you to look through the DMH Get Help Now website so that you have a very clear, very concrete answer to your question. Okay, well, thank you all for your support um, and for your questions and your participation.